Well, church, uh, we are in, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 3 here in just a few moments. Um, the title of the message today, as we continue through Luke, is uh, Make Ready. Make Ready. It comes from verse 4 in the New American Standard. It says, Make Ready the Way of the Lord. Your version will say that, or it'll, it'll either say, Prepare the Way of the Lord, or Prepare ye the Way of the Lord. So that's what we're doing today, but it's a special message today. As we're remembering our brother as well, Brother Rocky. So the title of the message is Make Ready a Tribute to Rocky. A Tribute to Rocky today. So we want to honor the Lord by looking at His Word today and, uh, and remember our brother as well. So that's what we're doing here today. Um, but if you'll turn in your Bibles to start off with in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read a few verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through 31. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31 to start out with today. As we really talk about God's messenger today and John the Baptist, but as we'll see, it has application really for all of those who, uh, who open their mouth, open their voice for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ, really any Christian. And so, obviously, that would include our brother Rocky. So 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18-31 says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despise God has chosen, and the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That is our boast. Jesus Christ is our boast. You know, when I think about these verses, I have a, probably one of the greatest pictures that I have in my mind of this section of Scripture his, uh, I don't know, it was probably two or three months ago. It was still basketball season. And we were at the Thunder game. And I, I would imagine Shiloh was probably on the east side. And, and I was with Rocky and Josiah, probably Angela. And I know I was with Rocky and Josiah. Maybe, Rock, maybe Angela and Trish were roaming around handing tracks out. I don't know. Maybe y'all were helping Shiloh. I don't remember. Uh, but I know that, that Josiah and Rocky and myself was over there on the west side. And, and so Rocky was doing his thing. He was preaching. 
and the crowd was getting a little heavy. And, um, and so a good, good flow of people and Rocky's preaching and Josiah's got the cross standing right beside his dad. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and um, and I, I think I shared this story that Sunday, but it just is so graphic of this illustration of this that uh, I remember one of the former NBA, the, the Thunder players walked right by me and uh, offered him a track, you know, and he just didn't even acknowledge me, walked right by Rocky and Josiah within five feet of them. And, and again, the guy, he wasn't rude or anything, but it was just a picture in my mind of this very passage right here that you got this, I, I just thought to myself, what fools we look like out here. I mean, we look like a bunch of fools. And I saw the people watching the former player walk by, and I'm a sports fan, yeah, that's kind of neat when you see a player, but I just saw how the world looked at this guy. That's greatness in the eyes of the world. And I look over my brother preaching, and by that time, he had his big wheelchair, I believe. He had his big wheelchair, so you could, it even made him look more handicapped. And there he is preaching the gospel with his son, Josiah, standing right, be- right beside him, the cross. Out to the world, we look like absolute fools. Absolute fools. But in my mind, I looked over there at, at uh, Rocky and his son, and I was like, that's greatness. Amen. That's greatness. That's greatness, beloved. Because I know, I know Rocky and Josiah were there to glorify their king. They were there because they loved these very people. And that is greatness. Not just in my eyes, that's greatness in the Lord's eyes. It's a beautiful picture of this. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And in verse 21, God was well pleased through. Some versions will say through the preaching, or it will say through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Both are true. God uses preaching. And God uses a specific message that's preached to save those who will believe. So what a picture that was. That'll, that'll ever be in my memories the rest of my life when I think about this passage here. But let's look at Luke chapter 3. <clears throat> Luke chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 is where we're at today. We're going to be looking at John the Baptist finally coming on the scene. And Luke 3, 1 through 6 says this, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, and the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough road smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Let's pray. (sighs) Father, we come... Before your glorious throne today, Lord. Before the very throne that our brother is sitting before right now. And Lord, I just ask God that you would help us, Lord. Our brother is in he is in your presence right now, Lord, but we are still here, God. We are still here. We are still fighting the good fight. 
And, and so, Father, I need your help today, Lord. I just ask for your help. Help me by your Spirit, God. Help your people today, Lord, to hear your Word. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would... Father, just apply this text to our life today, God. I pray that, um, God, that your Son would be glorified. pray that your church would be edified, would be strengthened, would be encouraged, God. pray for your, your spirit of comfort to rest upon these people today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the title of the message is Make Ready. Prepare. Make ready the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. And a tribute to our brother Rocky today. We'll be looking at three, three points today. All really trying to answer our question that I have on the back of your bulletin. If you have an outline. The question is this. How does God make ready the appearance of His Son? How does God make ready the appearance of His Son? So we're going to answer that with three answers today. In verses 1-6. through six. And The first one we're going to see... God makes ready the appearance of His Son in His timing. In His timing. And we're going to see that in verses 1 and the first part of verse 2. You know, it's always interesting when you get a few verses like this that's nothing but names. <laughs> well, what do we do with these? Well, there, we can, we can, it's, it's there for a reason, okay? It says, Now in the fifteenth year of the region of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis and Lysanias was Tetrarch of Abilene and the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So we're going to look at God's timing. We're going to look at God's timing in the appearance of His Son. So a little bit about these, these guys that we see in this, this, these first couple of verses. Tiberius Caesar, he succeeded Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is who we saw in chapter 2 verse 1. He was the Caesar who gave the, the uh, decree, the census, if you guys remember. Which really, in God's sovereign plan, led Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, if you guys remember that. Remember that. It was part of God's decree that this pagan king would offer this decree. And um, the census, anyway, it's, it's, what led, it's, what, it's what led Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. So this is, um, this is the one, his son, who succeeded uh, succeeded Augustus and um, sorry let me give him my thoughts here Tiberius is who we're talking about now so he succeeded Augustus and this uh, Augustus died and yeah Augustus who, let me get these men straight guys yeah Augustus he died on August 19th in AD 14 so Tiberius according to tradition in AD 11 became the co-regent with Augustus. So John's ministry would have began around A.D. 26. Okay? Now this gets into that Jesus being born before 1 B.C. If you have questions, ask me after the message. I have answers for you. But I don't want to get bogged down with that. So John's ministry would have began in A.D. 26. Uh, yeah, let me gather my thoughts here. Yeah, Pontius Pilate's the second individual here. Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. I think we're pretty familiar with Pontius Pilate. He's the one Jesus stood before. Pontius reigned as governor of Judea from 26 to 36 A.D. He was the one, right, that handed Jesus over to be crucified. If you guys remember in that story, 
Remember the, you remember the question that Pontius asked Jesus, what is truth? And who was it standing right before Him? He had the truth. He had the truth standing right before Him, Pontius Pilate. We can learn something from all of these guys. You know, it's much like our world, guys. When the gospel is being proclaimed, they have truth right before them. Listen to what Jesus says in John 8.45 to the Pharisees. You don't need to turn there. But this is one of the most fascinating verses. It's always, it's always been fascinating to me. Listen to what He says to the Pharisees. He says, Because I speak the truth, you don't believe Me. Isn't that a fascinating truth? <laughs> because I speak the truth, you don't believe Me. Have you ever, have you ever been talking to somebody... And, and you're, you're thinking in your mind, this person would believe literally anything I tell them except the truth. That's the way our world is because the world is blinded to the truth. The world hates the truth. Pontius Pilate had the truth standing right before him. The one who said, I am the way and the truth, the truth incarnate. It seemed to me that Pontius Pilate tried to have neutrality, right? I, I don't see anything wrong with this man, but he would not submit to him. So we know that Jesus later said in the Gospels that if you're not with me, you're against me. And so I hate to think of the fate of, of, uh, of Pilate if he did not repent. The next individual we see is Herod. Herod was Tetrarch of Galilee. This Herod, he reigned in 4 B.C. to A.D. 39. He was a son of Herod the Great who we looked at in chapter 1, verse 5. This is Herod Antipas. This is who this Herod is talking about. This is the one that we see in the Gospels. This is the one that we see in the Gospels. This is the one who had John's head cut off. He beheaded. He beheaded John, if you remember. If you remember why he beheaded John, he was having an adulterous affair with Herodias, his brother's wife. And then had her own daughter probably strip dance for him. And so at the so really at the desire of Herodias through the daughter. He took John's head off. So basically we see Herod is just a pervert. That's in my mind. He's a, he's a man who loved his sexual perversion more than he loved the truth. And had John the Baptist beheaded. Jesus Christ also stood before this Herod after his arrest. And we see that him and his soldiers mocked him. I, th- I hope you can see the kind of men these, these leaders were. Much like our day, right? Powerful men. A lot of them perverted, um, just full of themselves. And then we see a guy, Philip, who was his brother. It was Philip's wife, by the way, <laughs> that, that, uh, that Antipas was sleeping with. So Philip reigned as Tetrarch. Uh, tetrarch just means a ruler of a quarter of a region. That's just a name for a ruler. He was uh, Tetrarch of the region of Ituria. I think it was uh, I think it was Josephus said this Philip was he was the best of the Herodian leaders maybe he wasn't quite as quite as wicked and then and then we see this Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene uh, Lysanias ruled more now this is what's interesting guys I want to I want to get past this pretty quick and I want to but it's but it is interesting Lysanias. He ruled Abilene more than 60 years earlier. There was, a, there was a man named Licinius with the same name. He ruled in the same region 60 years earlier in 36 BC. So we, we think, what did Luke get the? Did Luke get the? Uh, did he have the right man but the wrong date? Well, ancient 
inscriptions have since, which what happens a lot when uh, through the through discoveries that later it was discovered there was a second Licinius, which is this man here, probably a direct descendant. But even that, even that little truth right there, you know, God I think does these kind of things for a reason in His Word. I think it was maybe Todd Frill years ago I heard him say that that a lot of times there will be these apparent inconsistencies and contradictions in the Word of God because God is sovereign and for those people who want to um, deny God and their pride and arrogance it's almost like God has given them is given the arrogant person who refuses to submit to Him the professing atheist you could say He's going to give them enough rope to hang themselves Okay, God has given us light right? all men know God exists and how dare we doubt God's Word just because we may not be able to figure it out on the surface. God does all this on purpose. All flesh is like grass. All flesh is like grass, and all the glory of man is like the flower of grass. But what is the word of the Lord? It endures forever and ever and ever. Men come and men go. Men deny God. Men hate God. Men try to get rid of God's Word. They try to burn Bibles. But God's word continues. And these sinful men die off. But moving on, uh, the last two individuals we see is, is the two high priests it talks about in verse 2 during this time. Luke is just establishing a, an historical context of when John the Baptist came on the scene. Because he was an historian, remember? So he's being very detailed. Next he says it was in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Annas was high priest from 6 A.D. to 15 A.D. And because Rome basically ruled Jerusalem at this time, he was removed by the Romans. Caiaphas, who was his son-in-law, began to reign in 18 A.D. through through year 36 A.D. But according to the law, if you go back and read in the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, there could only be one priest at a time. And he was supposed to be there for life. So how do we reconcile this truth? and the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Well, Annas could still be referred to as high priest, much like we refer to former presidents as President so-and-so. This is no problem at all. And most of the, most of the Jews at this time did consider him still to be high priest. You can see that. You don't need to turn there. And Jesus' arrest in John 18, verse 12 and 13, it says Jesus was brought to Annas. And then later to Caiaphas, who was officially high priest. So that's, that's how you reconcile that. But the point, the point of all this, we see Jesus standing before all of these men at one point in time. He was arrested. He was standing before all these authorities. What's the ironic thing about this? You have the King of Kings standing before these wicked, vile men who think they have authority over Christ. Remember what Pilate said? Do you realize what authority I have? I could release you. Jesus said, you don't have any authority over me except for what's been given to you. Now what we have to remember, guys, is all of these leaders, all the leaders of our day, and every single person on planet earth will stand before Christ. That's the point of this. All will stand before Him. All will stand before Him and and give an account of their lives. The very one who our brother is kneeling before right now and worshiping. The man, Christ Jesus. That's who we'll stand before, guys. That's who every professed atheist, every professed Muslim, doesn't matter who you are, 
They're going to stand before the man, Christ Jesus, and give an account. All of these wicked men did. And everybody down through the ages. What's the purpose of all this? Again, Luke is an historian. And he's given an actual time frame of John and Jesus. An imposter, a liar, would not give such details. Okay, It's detailed. He says, go, go check the records. And so it's to remind us, beloved, really the point of this that I see is to remind us at the time of, of John the Baptist, right? He came on the scene and immediately behind him came Jesus Christ. This is here to remind us of what things were like. What things were like in that culture when the forerunner and when Christ came on the scene. Things were not good. Things were not good when John the Baptist came on the scene. We've already discussed since we've been in the book of Luke that Israel was largely apostate during this time. So things were not good spiritually. Things were not good spiritually. They were not good politically or morally. Much like our day. Remember, we're looking at God's timing. When did God choose for the entrance of His Son? Was it when everything was rosy? No, it was not. These were very bad times in the world, in this culture. Everything we know about these men that we just looked at, these were powerful men in the day. These were the leaders of the day. They were proud. They were violent. Okay? Lest we remember Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great? Had all the babies under two years old, all the baby boys killed, murdered. He was, he was one of the, the ones, if you go back to Genesis 3, talking about the seed of the serpent. He was, he was one of the seeds of the serpent. That just means the devil was behind it all, trying to destroy the Messiah before he ever came on the scene. This is a dark time, morally, spiritually. These proud, violent, self-indulgent men. What we see here is Rome was in rebellion towards the living God. Much like our day. It was in this darkness, beloved. The world was dark, that's the point. You ever think to yourself, the world's dark. It is dark. The world was dark during this time. When the great light came on the scene, God spoke so loudly. There was a similar darkness in England that's very comparable to that time and to our time. In England in the 18th century, which would have been the 1700s. So listen to what J.C. Ryle writes about this period of time. He wrote this 100 years later. So he wrote it in the, in the 19th century, about the century before him. And see if it sounds anything like this day we're talking about, and also our day, when we think about the timing of God's sending His Son onto the scene. He says this, How such a state of things can have arisen in a land of free Bibles. Remember, this is just a few centuries after the Reformation that started in this part of the world. He said, How such a state of things can have arisen in a land of free Bibles and professing, professing Protestantism is almost past comprehension. Christianity seemed to lie as one dead. There was darkness in high places. Just like, just like in John's day, just like in our day. Darkness in high places. Darkness in low places. Darkness in the court, the camp, the parliament, and the bar. Darkness in the country and darkness in town. Darkness among rich and darkness among poor. 
a gross, thick, religious, and moral darkness. A darkness that might be felt. Does anyone ask what the churches were doing at this time? Ryle says. He says, they existed, but they could hardly be said to have lived. They did nothing. They were sound asleep. Sermons everywhere were little better than miserable and moral essays, utterly devoid of anything likely to awaken, convert, or save souls. You know what my brother Rocky would have called that? Milk toast. That's what I just discovered. That's what brother Rocky called weak preaching. He called it milk toast. That's what Rocky would have... If I would have read that quote, Rocky would have been thinking milk toast. Weak preaching. That's much a reason why the state that, that England was the way it was. It was a, the church had gone apostate in just a few hundred years. Has it not done the same in our land? For the most part? You know, Rocky, he was, he was my gauge uh, whenever I, I had such a trust in Rocky's theology, in his love for the truth, his knowledge of the truth, his balance. He was, he was my gauge. What do I mean by that? Well, if he was here, <laughs> which he was just last week, he'd be sitting right there, and if he agreed with something that I said, you could hear him, ah. That's Rocky saying, Amen. <laughs> you know what Rocky told me Tuesday? So Monday we was over there, Rocky had a rough day. So I went back over there on Tuesday, and I'm just sitting by Rocky. And because we were going to go to the bus station that day, but Rocky was too weak. So I just went and hung out with him. It's one of the things he told me while I was hanging out with him. He, by that time, he was on his BiPAP. And he, and he told me that. He said, brother, he said, I don't even have... He's, he's communicating on his eye gaze, so he's speaking out loud. And he said, brother, I don't even have the strength to give you a grunt anymore. So that's, that's when I knew Brother Rocky was getting weak. Because I could always depend on Rocky to give me a, a grunt. That's, but that's, what I, that's when I knew, I, hey, I'm in line here. I'm preaching the truth. Same thing at the bus station. And I'm preaching and Rocky's over there nodding. I'm thinking, well, I must be saying something right. Because I knew Rocky. I could trust him. He was my gauge. <laughs> he was my gauge. But no, Rocky. Rocky wasn't like one of these milk toast preachers. <laughs> Rocky was the kind of preacher like God raised up during this time. Okay? During this time when England was so dark, Ryle has a book about this time when God raised up about ten guys that He wrote about in that section of the world to bring in revival to England. Literally transformer culture. He raised up men like George Whitfield, like the Wesley brothers, men like Hal Harris, like Daniel Rowland and many others. This is the kind of preacher Brother Rocky was. Brother Rocky may not have had a voice, but like my wife stated, he, he preached like a lion. He did preach like a lion. His preaching was no nonsense. His preaching was law and gospel. Law to the proud. To help people see your sin. Your gospel. He was not a milquetoast preacher. No, Rocky. Rocky was a preacher of righteousness. Much like John the Baptist. Much like 
Peter describes Noah. He was a preacher of righteousness, Rocky was. But he was the kind of guys that God raised up. These, these men, like He raised up John the Baptist. He brought John the Baptist onto the scene when things weren't good. He brought men like Whitfield, Wesley's, and these men onto the scene. Just when it seems like it's too dark. Beloved, He can do the same thing today. He can do the same thing today. You know, that's the thing about, that's the thing about preachers like George Whitfield, and I do say like Brother Rocky. We actually call him. Rocky, many times our Whitfield. But it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what kind of voice you have. It's the, it's the truth of the message proclaimed. And it's the truth of, of preachers like Rocky that God saves sinners, that God awakens people. You see, this, this, this time of darkness, when the light comes in, the light shines brightest in the darkness, right? Whether you're talking about a culture. But it does the same thing in men's hearts. It's through biblical preaching, like Brother Rocky, that God makes ready the appearance of a son in individual lives, individual hearts. He does it in the exact same way. It's when a person realizes, and only when a person realizes the darkness of their own heart, can the son make his appearance. And that's what Rocky's goal was in preaching. My dear friends, we're here to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you today. But you had to watch out on Rocky's phone. Because uh, a lot of times before he ever got to the gospel, he would preach the law too. And why do I say you got to watch out? Because sometimes Angela and Josiah would be in their house and all of a sudden they would just hear, Liar! <laughs> because Rocky was not afraid to preach the law too. And that's the principle we see in Scripture. Law to the proud. Grace to the humble. Rocky was a biblical preacher. Rocky, Rocky, Rocky preached about man's wicked heart. Can you just hear his voice on there? Your, your, your problem, I think I shared that video uh, yesterday, and he says your problem is your wicked hearts. That's man's problem. It's the wicked heart. Jeremiah 17.9, right? The heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. We even had a discussion about that on Wednesday night a few months ago on the different English translations. <laughs> I think a couple of us had the NAS and the ESV says the heart is desperately sick. The New King James and the King James says desperately wicked. And we all agreed wicked is better. <laughs> and so Rocky and I, every time after that since then, every time he would preach and that verse would come across his, his amp and he'd get to that part that, that man's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, we'd just look at each other and give a thumbs up. Wicked. Not sick. The heart is wicked until God gives us a new heart. But he was a biblical preacher. Rocky was. He was a biblical preacher. Rocky was not just a preacher. He was a biblical preacher. Rocky was a godly man. Rocky was a godly husband. Rocky was a godly father. Rocky was a godly son. Rocky was a godly friend. Oh, he loved his family. Gasping for air on Monday. Monday was a rough day. He was gasping for air, struggling. As my wife is ministering to Angela, what, what is Rocky thinking about? He tells me, he's still, he's still able to communicate, and he says, I hurt for my precious bride. That's who Rocky's thinking about. 
At the very end, he's thinking about his bride. At the very end, he's telling me things like, Brother, I'm concerned for you that you're rushing to work and you're going to hurt yourself. He's, that's the kind of man he was. I just want you to know my opinion of Rocky. If I haven't made it clear, if it would not have been for Rocky's disease, he would be a pastor in this church. Even if he couldn't speak. That's how highly I thought of him. Even to the point where, even if he couldn't speak, he could still be an elder in this church if he hadn't had the terminal disease that he had. Beloved, the, 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 the days are no different than we live in. Do things seem hopeless to you? I'm sure there were Christians living in England in that, in that century where things seemed hopeless. The darkness, it just, it just engulfed. Godly Jews probably thought it seemed hopeless. When, the, when is the Messiah coming? Because our culture just, it just grows in darkness. It's like, it's like J.C. Ryle said, sometimes you can feel it. You can almost cut it in the air. Things are so dark. Do things seem hopeless, beloved? I just want you to know that never are things hopeless for the Christian. Ever. Things are never hopeless for us. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Personally, like Rocky, or like when we see our culture just descend into the moral abyss, it seems like at times. Things are never hopeless for the Christian. This is an exciting time to be a Christian, if you ask me. It's an exciting time to preach the Gospel. When darkness, when we see darkness just engulfing us. Let's go shine a light. Go shine a light. That's what Rocky was all about. That's what Rocky was all about. Beloved, this is perfect timing. It was perfect timing 2,000 years ago when, when the sun made His appearance in this darkness. It's, it's perfect timing. Yes, things are dark right now. Things are bad. They really are. But beloved, listen to Psalm 43, verse 5. The psalmist says, Oh soul, why are you in despair? Why are you in despair? Why are you disturbed within me? Yeah, your version may say downcast. Is your soul ever disturbed in despair or downcast? I think we all go through, go through seasons. Maybe it's because of... Uh, you look around at how our world is and it causes you to be in despair. Maybe it's personal trials you're going through. Maybe it's through seeing a loved one and their illness and their battle. Battles and their health. It could be anything. But do you look around? Do you look around and, and, and you see the, the, just the, the darkness in our culture? Do you, ever, do, you ever, do you ever pray? Which is a good prayer. Oh Lord, bring revival. I mean, that's a good thing. I want you to pray for that. Bring revival. Bring reformation. All of it. We need truth. We need revival. But beloved, how about your own soul? We've got to start there. You have revival in your own soul. That's where it starts. Revival in your soul. Why do I say all that? Why do I bring up psalms? And Well, it's applicable. But I want you to think about Rocky. Rocky lived in the same world we lived in. Rocky heard the same news we heard. He looked around and saw the same depravity around that we see. And Rocky couldn't speak the whole time I knew him. He couldn't eat for the last ten months, except through a feeding tube. Was so gracious with that. 
I never saw even a hint of despair and Rocky. Ever. Not even the last, the very last. I never saw despair. Yeah, you saw a man fighting to breathe, obviously. But there wasn't despair. He smiled. Last time I saw him was Wednesday night. And I said bye to him two or three times. And I just went over there and just knelt down by him. He was too weak to nod anymore. But he could, he could look with those eyes and barely had the strength to give a little smile. Right up to the very end. He did not despair, beloved. Because just like the song we sang, Give Me Jesus. That's who he had. That was his life. There was nothing fake about it. May we learn from our brother Rocky. His legacy will never end in this church. So beloved, things are never hopeless. Let Rocky be a reminder of that. They were never hopeless with him. Always an encouragement. He's with his cousin, I told Trish this morning. He's with his cousin Barnabas. Up there in heaven now. Because he was such an encourager. He's such an encourager. Always encouraging me. I know encouraging many of you. Well, let's move on. Beloved, the point is, point number one is that, that many times God comes, His ways aren't like our ways, right? He comes and we think things are hopeless and then the Lord appears. Maybe, that, maybe that's the case in a loved one you're praying for. We have loved ones we're praying for and it's just, it seems dark and hopeless. And the Son of God may appear and just do a radical conversion in their life like He's done in many of our lives. So how does God make ready the appearance of a son? Number one, through His timing, in His timing. His timing is always perfect. Secondly, with His man. How does God make ready the appearance of His, own, or of his son? With His man. What kind of man does He choose, in other words? We're going to see the forerunner here in verses, the second part of verse 2, first part of verse 3. Obviously, we're speaking of John the Baptist. It says, The Word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he came into all the district around the Jordan. The forerunner of the Messiah. The one who has given the greatest privilege. Think of his privilege. What did he come to do? To prepare the people for the Messiah and to present the Messiah to the people. God makes ready the appearance of His Son with His man. With His man. This was His man. You remember, you remember in chapter 1, verse 15, we had a whole sermon about it. Chapter 1, verse 15, it said, when He was speaking to Zechariah the angel, and He told him, He says, you're going to have a son, and He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Speaking of John, He will be great you remember what made him so great? He was called the, the greatest of any born among women. But do you remember what made him great, beloved? First of all, it was this privilege that he had. He had the greatest privilege to usher in the Messiah. Okay? But also what made him great was his humility. When we think about John the Baptist. He was a humble man. This is what marks greatness in any man. It's humility. And by the way, Rocky was a very humble man. For any who had a chance to know Him. It puts you to shame sometimes how humble He was. But John was a humble man. If you remember in John 3.27, we, we get a glimpse into this humility, right? This great ministry that God had 
trusted John the Baptist to. And John made the statement in John 3. We read it earlier when Shiloh read that section of Scripture to us. He said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. John understood his ministry. John understood he was nothing special, but that God had given him, given him this great privilege. Remember he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. That was John's mentality. And obviously, he was a man, right? He wasn't a perfect man. Only Christ was perfect. So obviously, he was, he was not perfect in this. He was being sanctified. Just like Rocky was not perfect. But I know that was Rocky's heart as well. Oh, that Jesus would increase. Rocky always kept me in line. You know, there would be times, very few times, where we ever disagreed on anything. But we could disagree on maybe a secondary doctrine. But you know what Rocky would always say? Because he was... He was a balanced, mature brother. He would say, but brother, that's not the main thing. Our fellowship was in Christ. Some people, they try to just break fellowship over anything. Now Rocky, he understood that our fellowship is in Christ. Our common thing, our common bond, our common... Love is in Christ. But when you think about John the Baptist coming onto the scene, surely the forerunner, right? He's called the forerunner. Surely he would make his appearance in a dramatic way, right? In the, maybe in the Jerusalem temple? Or somewhere in Jerusalem. Remember, this is God's man. This is God's man. But how did he make his appearance? Mark 3 verse 6 tells us, John was clothed with what? <laughs> Suit and a tie. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locusts and wild honey. This was the man that God chose. That ate big old grasshoppers about that big and wild honey. This really reminds me of 1 Corinthians 1 that we read. He uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. How many churches do you think would let John the Baptist in? Their church, if he came walking up. I hope that we would. <laughs> but what a, what a fool he'd look like to our world, right? He uses the foolish things of the world. He, he even uses men in wheelchairs who can't speak to proclaim his word. Give me Rocky Brown every day of the week. Give me Rocky Brown instead of these men that they, they, their whole life is built on. They're, they're, they're so reformed in their minds, they just want to see who they can get in an argument with and, and, and smoke cigars and drink whiskey and all of these things. Give me a Rocky Brown. Give, give me a Rocky Brown who, who has his priorities straight, and that's Jesus Christ. A man who the world's not worthy of. John the Baptist and Rocky Brown as well. You know, John the Baptist, what did he eat? He was God's man. His diet was locusts and wild honey. In the time that I knew Rocky Brown, he had to eat on a feeding tube. Get down to the bus station before he'd come out and preach the Word of God. He depended on his wife and his son to feed him. 
Do you see, guys? Greatness in God's eyes has nothing to do with these things. It has everything to do with humility. Rocky didn't have a voice. But man, he roared like a lion. And he comforted like no brother I've ever known. I just went back and looked through Rocky and I's text that we've texted so much in the last year. And just the comfort he would bring me. He's the man with ALS, let me remind you. And the comfort and encouragement he would bring me on a daily basis. But it says John the Baptist, it says he... he, uh, The Word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. In the wilderness, and he came into all the district around the Jordan. The wilderness between the, the hill country of Judea and the Dead Sea. One of the commentators I read, you know, it's, it's a barren land over there. It's harsh, it's hot, it's, it's a really unforgiving environment. I don't remember who it was I read, that, but they said it, 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 it was like worse than Death Valley. Just a horrible region to live in. Whether that's true or not, we know it's a really rough environment. His father and mother, Zacharias and Elizabeth, it says were both advanced in years when he was born. So he, he may have been orphaned at a young age and moved to the wilderness after the death of his parents. We don't know. There's some tradition, I think, he lived in, I think, the Cromwell community. But there's no evidence to that. But this is God's man. That's what we do know. This is the man that God chose to usher in His Son. To usher in His Son. He chose a man who ate bugs, lived in the woods, and He was a rough man, outwardly. You know what I see John the Baptist? I see a picture of meekness when I see John the Baptist. I see somebody who outwardly, yes, he was a man's man. He was rough. John the Baptist was tough, no doubt. He was strong. He was masculine. But he was humble. He was a picture of meekness. He was a picture of strength under control. Again, he recognized this place. You can see it down in verse 16, even in this chapter. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one who is coming, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He knew his spot, he knew his place, beloved. He recognized his place. This was true of any man of God. Any man of God is going to, any woman of God, they're going to, we're going to recognize our place, right? Anything good we do. First of all, it says we're just doing our duty. We're just doing what's required of us. Like Paul Washer says, there are no great men or women of God. Just wretches who have been saved by a great God, a great Savior. John understood this. It says the Word of God came to him. The Word of God came to him. You know what this is? This is God's call to His prophetic ministry. This is God's call to His specific prophetic ministry. And can I say that this happens not in the exact same way because we are not John the Baptist, but this happens to all who are called to preach. There's a call there. There's an inward call there. When, when God calls a man to preach... What do I, and what do I mean by that? What is it not? It's not a career call. Well, I think I'm going to choose this path because it can be a good career. That's not what it is. No, because i got a fire burning into my bones and I must preach the Word. That's what this call is. 
It's a call to preach. It's a call to preach. And you know, I don't know if you've ever considered this, guys, but John the Baptist didn't preach very long. You think about his ministry. And we think about how great of a man he was. And what a powerful ministry he had. He didn't preach very long. He was imprisoned and beheaded early in our Lord's ministry. And we know the Lord's ministry only lasted three years. So he wasn't on the scene very long. But this was God's man that he used to usher in his son. And he did so many mighty things through John the Baptist. You know, and it got me thinking about Rocky. Rocky didn't preach that long. He didn't preach in the open air very long. Eight months. And I think of the impact that he has had on countless people's lives. People who I've received private messages from. Men that I know. Of what an encouragement he has been to them. What a rebuke he's been to some. Now I remember last September at the farmer's market, his first time to preach. I think I caught him by surprise. When they moved here, he had told me, he had showed me on his phone how he shares the gospel. He said, I've got verses in my phone and I just hit play and it plays scripture. So maybe I didn't communicate it to him very well, but I already had plans for Rocky. (laughs) Because I thought, well, it would be kind of hard to have a conversation with somebody, but he can proclaim a message. And so the first time they came out with us, I preached and I said, Rocky, you ready? (laughs) And little did I know, it took him off guard. And so he preached. That day had some verses, and I think it was Angela that first asked me if I could just help him just, you know, develop some gospel presentations. So he and I did that for months. I'd stay up late at night sending him, sending him stuff, and I told him, I said, now Rocky, I'm just helping you out. You, you craft these how you want them. And that's what he did. And I said, he'd be doing it. <laughs> they could hear him preaching in the house. He's getting these messages ready. But he only preached for eight months, beloved. It was sometime in September, and his last time to preach was May 9th, just a few weeks ago. And the second, the second, the second, uh, a week before then, a few days before then, which would have been that Friday, Frank was here, so about May 5th, right around there. So this would have been his second time to preach. And, and I just want to tell you, he didn't preach long, but this is the kind of impact Rocky had. For a few of us in here that were there that day, you remember the, the black gentleman that came up in tears? So this is Rocky's second to last time. Nobody got a video of it or a picture because we were all just taken back by this guy. He walked over, weeping profusely. I don't know how many times this guy told Rocky how much he appreciated him. Just weeping. Just weeping. I don't know if the guy was a Christian. He was, he was obviously very, very uh, open to the message. He said, I appreciate your message, but I just appreciate it so more coming from you. And he just kept saying it over and over and over. And it's like he wouldn't leave. I think Rocky didn't even know what to think. But that's the kind of impact Rocky had on people. We saw much of that. But probably the greatest demonstration of just the the impact that Rocky had, that that impacted this man, that this man was just overwhelmed with the fact that Rocky's condition, and you would come out here and do this. It was such a blessing. It was a godsend. Just to remind us all 
of the impact Rocky Brown has had on us, had on so many people, so many people. The, the list goes on and on, the people I've heard from. A man whom the world is not worthy, John the Baptist, obviously, but I would think Rocky Brown as well. But, just to balance it out, guys, he preached the gospel. And there's plenty of people who didn't want to hear that, even from Rocky. The very last day we preached, May 9th, usually I would start out. I would start out and start us up and get us going, and I'd hand it off to Rocky. But I, I just told him, I said, Rocky, start us out today, brother. Go as long as you want. And so he did, probably within two minutes of his preaching, we had a lady walk by and just said, Shut up, who? Nobody wants to hear you. And uh, you know, just the time before that, that black guy had come up and just thank thank Rocky for. But Rocky got Rocky got the uh, he got the pushback from the world, even here in Oklahoma, even in a, even in a wheelchair. But he just smiled and kept hitting his phone. <laughs> we was looking forward to the to the time where he could bring his eye gaze out, but he just never made it to that point. But what a blessing Rocky was. What a preacher he was. John the Baptist, he was not a pretty boy, obviously. I can promise you this. John the Baptist did not wear skinny jeans. <laughs> if they had skinny jeans, he would not have worn them. <laughs> no, he did, not, he, did not, he did not dress in fine clothing. I think obviously we know no fancy building, but he had a love for Christ. John the Baptist had a love for Christ, beloved. In case we ever forget, don't think of John the Baptist as a crazy man. John the Baptist had a love for Christ that you and I probably have no, no understanding of. He loved Him to the point of death. He gave up His head. But beloved, I think that's, uh, that goes to any man called of God to preach. That should go to any Christian. That we should be willing to deny Christ to the point of death if He called, that, if he called us to that. Don, or, uh, Donna. I had your name written here, Donna. He, was a, he loved his mother. He was a great son. I remember a story that Donna told. Because if you think about it, beloved, Rocky did the same thing. He preached up to death. He preached up to death. He preached up to... And, and the thing about it is, by God's grace, he only had to tell me one time that he was two weeks to go. That was this week. That was Tuesday. Now there were times he didn't go for other reasons, but this week, after having such a rough day Monday, we, we had planned on Tuesday, and not that I was thinking he was going to go, but I messaged him that morning, brother, you, you up for the bus station today? He said, no, I'm too weak, I need to rest. I said, okay, I'll come over. But I remember Donna telling him, saying, back in the wintertime, Donna, you said that you had, um, one of the Thursdays we were going to the bus station, it was bitter cold, and obviously being a mother, <laughs> you're like, Rocky, you don't need to be going out there. You'll catch pneumonia. Which, that wouldn't be good. And Rocky's response is, no, Mom, I'm not going to be here long and I want to preach. And that was his heart. Beloved, he knew he wasn't going to be here long. Now, nobody knew how long. You know, it's not something you just talk about. But he understood. I'm not going to be here long and I want to preach the Word of God. And praise God, people would sit down and listen to him. They'd line up and listen to him. 
Stand there and listen to him. Because Rocky, maybe it was late in life. Maybe it was after he lost his voice. But God called him to preach. And he's one of the finest preachers I've ever seen. With the greatest smile I've ever seen. But he loved Christ, just like John the Baptist loved Christ. He wanted to preach to the time that the Lord took him home. He had a, he had a love for Christ and a love for souls. That was Rocky Brown. He was God's man. He is God's man. But he was God's man here. Are you God's man? Are you God's woman? Beloved, He's called us all to be a witness for Christ. Different ways, different places, but to be a witness for Christ. You don't have to be John the Baptist to be God's man or God's woman. Rocky understood that. Rocky spurred me on. It says, He came into all the district around the Jordan. You know, if you, if you read Mark's account, beloved, it says, all the hill country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. You know what that means? Many were coming out to hear John the Baptist. Praise God, many came out to hear them. Be faithful, beloved. That's what we can learn from this. Be faithful. God will bring people into your life to minister to. He will bring people into your life. Usually He's already done it. We just need to open our eyes. And like Shiloh says, we need to be the opportunity. Don't pray for an opportunity. Be the opportunity. He'll bring people into your lives to minister to and He will bring His sheep to Christ. We can't bring His sheep to Christ. He brings His sheep to Christ. We proclaim the message. God gives His sheep ears to hear. You be God's Man, you be God's woman. It's a beautiful thing. The Lord would bring many to hear Rocky. He would literally bring people to hear Rocky who would not have otherwise came. I can still see the people sitting on the sidewalk listening to Rocky. That when I was preaching, they just walked on by. But he brought people to Rocky. How many people heard the gospel online through Rocky? Countless. And that's Angela's hope at, the, at his memorial service that more will hear. And we'll continue to play his videos. But be God's man. Be God's woman. Rocky wasn't perfect. <laughs> right, Donna? <laughs> right? No, we're never saying that. We don't want to lift Rocky up higher than he needs to be lifted up. But he was a man of God. He wanted to be God's man while, he, while God had him, was giving him time on this earth. So be strong like John the Baptist. Don't back down and be humble. That's the beautiful thing of being Christ-like. It's, right? The Son of God. There's nobody stronger than Christ, but there's nobody more humble than Christ. John the Baptist. Rocky as well. So God makes ready the appearance of a son in his timing, okay? God can transform a culture, he can transform a human heart in his timing. Amen. And he does it with his man or with his woman. 
What does it mean to be God's man and God's woman? Be faithful. That's what it means. You and I are called to be faithful. Not perfect. Just faithful. Be available. And you can be God's man or God's woman. And lastly, God makes ready the appearance of a son with His message. With His message. We don't make up the message, right? It's God's message. What was His message for the people? What is His message for you if you're in this room and and you have not submitted to Christ? It's the need of repentance and baptism as the evidence. Much like John the Baptist here. But we're going to look at his message last of all. It says in verse 3 through 6. Verse 3b through 6. Let's look at that first part real quick. First, it says, He came into all the district around the Jordan, John did, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Very, very similar, but not exactly the same as Christian baptism. Listen to what John MacArthur says on this. He says, The baptism in view here is not Christian baptism, which symbolizes death, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ because it had not yet been instituted. Nor did John's baptism produce forgiveness. We always need to remember that, right? Amen? Baptism doesn't save. Uh, he says, Nor did John's baptism produce forgiveness, for no ritual can accomplish that. And while there were various ceremonial washings in Judaism, there was no baptism for Jews. But the Jews did baptize Gentile converts to Judaism in the Old Testament. There's disagreements whether there was or not. That's really... So, I don't want to even get into that right now. But he goes on to say, because I think his point is well made. Thus, those who were being baptized by John in the Jordan River, as they confessed their sins, were publicly acknowledging that they were no better than the Gentiles. The sins had separated them from the true and living God and cut them off from covenant blessings. Their sins had. For Jewish people to place themselves on the same level as the despised Gentiles was astonishing and demonstrated the power of John's preaching. What's the point here, guys? It's much the same in our day. Is that not what we testify to when we're baptized? When we go in the water and we come up, we're testifying, right? That I'm not a good person. I am not a good person. I cannot save myself. I identify as a sinner who needs a Savior. I identify with these other Christians that we're not good, we're wretches, but we need Christ. And my old man has been buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism is publicly humbling yourself before the world and saying, I am Christ. Yeah, I need Christ. And I'm not ashamed of it. And it would have been a humbling experience. That's what he was saying. Can repent and give evidence. We'll talk about next time the fruits of repentance. But the baptism was the evidence that these people were admitting their sinfulness. It's no different in our day. Baptism doesn't save. But we publicly declare that I'm a wretch and I need a Savior. And praise be to God, God has provided a Savior. His message was a message of repentance. And then verses 4-6, through six, we see the quote from the Old Testament. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready 
the way of the Lord, or prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. All four Gospels quote the beginning of this, which is Isaiah 40, verse 3, but only Luke quotes the whole section, which is Isaiah 40, verses 4 and 5 as well. And so the context in Isaiah... You see, it's always a beautiful thing in the Old Testament when these prophets would prophesy. Many times they didn't know fully what they were even prophesying about. But the context when Isaiah said what he said was he was sent to comfort the Jews who feared God that they should return from Babylon, from captivity, through King Cyrus. If you remember, God raised up this pagan king, Cyrus, and through him delivered his people back to the land of Israel. Even King Cyrus was a type of Christ. Such a beautiful thing, the New Testament. I'm so thankful for the New Testament that, that really clarifies the old. A type of shadow of a greater deliverance who is Christ. No, in that day, kings and great princes with armies usually had someone coming before them as a forerunner or a pioneer to prepare the way. How would they do it? By leveling the rough places. Literally, filling up ditches and holes. And then once the pioneer came or the forerunner came, the king was not far off. And so John is not preaching a message of morality, beloved. John the Baptist was not preaching a message of morality, but of repentance. Much like Rocky. Rocky didn't preach a message of morality. Rocky preached a message of repentance. And if you heard Rocky long enough, if he said the word repent, and it was the last word of the sentence, repent. Otherwise, it would say repent. But Rocky was a faithful preacher of repentance. Biblical repentance. Biblical repentance has to be part of the gospel message or we're not preaching the gospel men and women are called to repent what is biblical repentance I'm going to quote John MacArthur one time simply because Rocky loved John MacArthur he loved John MacArthur he listened to John MacArthur in the mornings he told me him and Angela but John MacArthur says this saving repentance never exists except in partnership with faith okay it is impossible to have true faith in Jesus Christ apart from true repentance from sin or true repentance from sin apart from true faith. They are two sides of the same work of the Holy Spirit to convict sinners of their sin and to draw them to Christ. And Rocky was a preacher of repentance. And you and I should be as well. Paul said, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ in Acts 20, verse 21. And so, beloved, don't think of John the Baptist as preaching a message of repentance, but not focused on Christ. True biblical repentance is a turning to Christ, and John understood that. What did he say in John 1, 29? Behold, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. Baptism didn't take away the sin of the world. Repentance doesn't take away the sin of the world. Jesus takes away the sin of the world. 
but it's through repentance. In John 3.36, just to remember, His message was focused upon Christ. He is the one who said, whoever believes in the Son has life. But whoever does not obey or believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. His message was centered upon Christ. This was His message. This is the message that God uses to bring His Son, that He used to bring His Son into the world through the forerunner. This is the message that God uses to bring individual sinners to Christ. Message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other message. Have you repented and believed upon Christ? The evidence will be that you'll still be repenting. That you'll still be believing upon Jesus Christ. That's the evidence. It's God who began a good work in us. He will complete it. It says make ready. Make ready in verse 4. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. Every ravine will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. Make ready. That's the question we're asking. How, how, what kind of message is it that makes ready? It's this message of repentance. Every ravine will be filled. This would be for the, for maybe the depressed, those who have been humbled by a reality of their sin. There's many people out there, they understand their sin. It's convincing them that Jesus can save them, can forgive them of their sin. It really describes every person in every, in every spiritual condition. These, these different phrases. But this person who may be beaten up by their sin, and they need—they don't need the law. They need to know that there's a Savior who can rescue you from the prison you're in, who can give you hope. They need to—they need to know the hope that's theirs in Christ. They need to be told to look up, look up. Your Redeemer lives. Christ lives. He will fill you. He will fill you with hope. He will fill you with His Spirit. He will fill you with the hope of resurrection. Rocky's last open air that I shared, Angela shared on Facebook. The last video I got was 45 seconds long and it was the hope of resurrection. How fitting. How fitting that Rocky was going to live Nine more days. And his last message was, you can conquer death if you'll trust in the One who conquered death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the hope. He is the hope that Rocky preached. He is Rocky's hope. He was Rocky's hope. And Rocky is living it now. He's living it up. Only one thing remains for Rocky, right, for all of us, at the final, at the end, the final resurrection when we all received our resurrected bodies. But make no mistake, Rocky is in the presence of the Lord, experiencing the hope of his salvation. It says, Every mountain will be brought low. Every mountain of pride will be brought low. 
Psalm 18.27 For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Rocky has been exalted because he has humbled himself. Rocky is exalted in the presence of the Lord. Rocky believed this message. Okay, It's one thing to say he preached this message. There's going to be people who preach this message in hell. You realize that? There will be preachers who preach the right message that are in hell. Matthew 7 there will be, says there will be those who prophesied in my name. Preached in my name. Rocky believed it. There's one thing to preach it, but do you believe it? He says the crooked. The crooked in verse 5. Every ravine be filled. Every mountain and hill be brought low. The crooked will become straight. The rough rough roads smooth. The crooked. The sinful. Those who are devious. Those who are deceitful. Those who are full of greed. Those who are full of love of the world. Full of lust. Full of apathy. Full of unbelief. All of this must be smoothed out to make preparations for the Lord in each individual heart. How? How does this happen? It happens the same way now as in John's day. That's why I say there's really, there's really not a lot of difference in what John was doing and with what we're doing in the sense we preach the Word of God We preach the Word of God and we trust God to prepare the soil of men's hearts to make their hearts ready for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The preaching of the Word of God. The crooked will become straight, right? What did Jesus say? Enter enter through what? The straight gate. The narrow gate. This was John's preaching. There's only one gate. The strategy is the same. Make ready. That's the title of the message. You and I, are as, as the church, we are to make ready the coming of the Lord. Not in the same way John did. But make ready, help make ready, help get people ready for Christ. Sir, do you see your sin? Do you see that you're a sinner? That there's a real eternal hell? Its jaws are open. You're going to drop in there one day if you don't repent. Make ready. We have to talk about sin. We have to talk about righteousness and judgment. We preach the Word of God, and then what do we do? We bathe it in prayer. That's the strategy. There's no shortcuts. We preach and we pray and we trust God. And we pray and we preach and we trust God. You know, that's what Rocky did. Rocky was not only a preacher, he was a man of prayer. He preached to the lost. He prayed for the lost. But you know what else he prayed for? He prayed for you. He told me he prayed for everybody in this church every day. 
He was a man of prayer. Is it any different today? Not really. There's darkness all around. God's still calling His men and women. Right? Who's going to be a voice for me? Or does Isaiah say, send me? Will you be that man? Will you be that woman? Send me. And then last, verse 6. All flesh will see the salvation of God. All flesh. What does that mean? Jew and Gentile alike. Jew and Gentile alike. The Gospel is for all who will come. That verse hasn't been fully fulfilled yet. Right? When God's last sheep hears His voice and believes, then Christ is coming back. Right? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group, all flesh will see the salvation of God. What does Romans 1.16 say? I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. For the Jew first and also to the, the Gentile. John was not ashamed of Christ. He was not ashamed. He said, let him increase and let me decrease. Rocky was not ashamed of Christ. He was not ashamed of Christ. Rocky understood the second half of Romans 1.16. He understood that the power was in Christ and His Word. That's what that verse says. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. It doesn't matter whether it's John the Baptist preaching, the Apostle Paul preaching. It doesn't matter if it's our voiceless brother Rocky preaching at the end of his life. Rocky understood that. We understood that. That's why we just said, Rocky, unleash the Word of God. And that's what he did. Even in his own home. He would let that thing play. He would show off for Jamie a time or two. Our voiceless brother understood that the power is not in the, the amp or my voice. The power is in the Word. That's what we need, guys. That's what we need. We need more Christians who understand that very simple thing and go make much of Christ. Go fill our cities with this message. And God will save His people. God will save people right up the street like He did Joshua. God will save some rich businessman walking down the road that maybe gets angry and gives you the middle finger. And maybe God saves him ten years later. It's through the Word of God. Rocky wasn't ashamed of Christ. In closing, beloved, Rocky wasn't ashamed of Jesus Christ. Rocky wasn't ashamed of the Word of God. And Rocky loved 116 Bible Church. He loved it. He loved the fellowship of 116 churches because of this very thing that we're talking about. Rocky understood to the wind with all the other nonsense. Let's go preach the Word of God, brother. You know what Rocky loved? And again, he kept me in line. 
He kept me in line. Rocky loved the main thing. Rocky was all about the main thing. Can't tell you how many times he'd say, the main thing, brother. Maybe we'd get off talking about something else. Yes, but that's not the main thing, brother. He'd bring me back here. That's what Rocky understood. That's what he lived. He had a love for you guys like you'll never know. He had a love for me. He had a love for his wife. Love for his son. What a, what a privilege it was to, to see this man in his home. Love, love for his mom. He got to see his, his dad, his brother. He loved his family. He loved the lost. He, he would love people that would mock. I, I just think of the different people who would come across our path. The young man dancing and just in his perversion one day. And Rocky said, he needs Christ. We just need to pray for him. There was no mocking. There was no making fun of that. He needs Christ. That's what Rocky was all about. Mom, I want to preach the Gospel. I don't have long. And he didn't have long. And I'm so thankful every time he came. He said that's what made his week. Because it, like Angela said, it could get his mind off of the disability, the, the disease. He shared just a few weeks ago when, he, when things were getting tough. He was experiencing a lot of pain. And he texted me that night and he said, Brother, the, the pain was severe. I don't remember how he worded it. The pain was severe before and after, but not during the preaching. And God just gave him grace. Gave him grace. And gave him grace. Let's remember our brother Rocky. Let's love his wife and son. Rocky will always be in my memories. In the 11 months that I knew this brother, literally one of my best friends I've ever had. I can say that. And he loved you guys. He loved our church. But more than anything, he loved Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your salvation, God. Lord, what a... Just such a... Such a reminder this is, Lord. Anytime death occurs, we are reminded of the, just the briefness of this life. It's just over so quick. Father, we're reminded of that, Lord. But oh, praise be to God that we rejoice that our, that our brother's with you. Angela's husband is with you now. Josiah's dad is with you. Donna's son is with you. Our brother is with you. And although we have tears here, and we're going to miss him, he's with you and we'll be reunited. Father, we thank You so much for saving Rocky Brown in his younger years, Lord. Thank You for saving him, Lord. Thank You for beginning that good work in him many years ago. 
Thank you for seeing it to completion. Father, we thank you for the time that you have given him with us, God. Your, your ways are best, Lord. Your wisdom is perfect. Lord, you had a reason for taking him when you did. God, we know that you're good in all things. Lord, giveth, the Lord taketh away. Doesn't make it easier. But Lord, we trust you. Father, we trust your. We trust the way you had him impact so many lives, God. Lives in here. Many more lives, God, in Oregon. Many more lives around the around the country through through social media. We thank you so much for that, God. We pray that you'll continue to use his life, God, to uh, raise up laborers, Lord, to go out into the harvest. Father, I pray, God, that he would be that both an encouragement and a rebuke to many. He was both to me. Father, his, his faithfulness, Lord. Rocky was not perfect. But Lord, his love for you was, was a beautiful thing. We thank you for him, Lord. God, it's you we worship. It's you we worship, God, but we remember our brother today, Father, until we see him, God. Lord, we know he's, he's safe in your presence. He's rejoicing in your presence, God, and so that causes us to rejoice. Father, we love you so much. We love you. Thank you for sending your son. Father, I thank you for uh, giving me the grace to be able to make it through this message. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.